Let us pray together and ask the Lord to be present. Father God, in the holy name of your Son, Jesus, we open now our lives and our hearts and our minds to you, my Father, that you would teach us. Let your word be a word of comfort to us. Let it be a word of strength. My Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, I pray that you would manifest yourself to us this day. Let your Holy Spirit be abundant in our church this morning and upon everyone that is here. Holy Spirit, inspire your word, the word of Scripture, in all of us. Inspire us. Open us up. Fill us. Fill us, O Lord, with the knowledge of the Lord. And guide us to worship our Father in heaven, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, with all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls and spirit. I give myself to you now, and I pray that you have your way in all of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. So today we lit the second candle of Advent. We know that candle as the candle of love. Last week... Uh, it was the Sunday of hope. And uh, two of the things that I said to you about hope, just wanted to remind you of, is that hope, that the meaning of faith, the difference between faith and hope. Faith is works and trust. Work and trust. In other words, faith calls us to action. If you truly believe in God, you need to move according to what God has asked us to do. Faith is a, an active word. It is a word about action. It, is, it leads us to work and trust that God will be with us in what we do. Hope, on the other hand, I described to you last week, hope is weight and trust. So faith is work and trust, action and trust. Hope is wait. Wait and trust. It invites us to wait on the Lord. And that's the difference between faith and hope. And if you would like to know more about the sermon that I preached on Sunday, it is in the website, both audio and video. And you can go back and take a look at what I had to say about hope. Today's the second Sunday of Advent. And just as a quick reminder, Advent calls us and invites us to remember. It calls us to remember the events of over 2,000 years ago. It calls us to remember what happened about a star appearing Magi or wise men following this star and coming all the way to a manger in Bethlehem of Judea and there finding the baby that would be the king of all kings that had ever existed or governed. It would be the eternal king from of old 
and unto of old. And so we look in Advent back and we recognize what God has done. But we also, Advent calls us to be present today. Advent calls us to be ready for Christmas 2017. It calls us to get ourselves ready to not be caught up in the merchandising and, and advertising and all the busyness of food and family and travel and so many other things that tend to occupy our times and helps us focus that we have a, in, right now with today three Sundays left before we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And after today, only two more Sundays left, and we are on Christmas Day. So Advent keeps us focused, keeps us focused, and helps us prepare to celebrate today the birth of Jesus. But Advent also makes us be in expectation, because one of the things about Advent is that it points to the final coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't just point to when he came the first time. It points us to be prepared and expectant of when the Lord will return in heaven. From heaven with all the holy angels with him. So it keeps us in remembrance, presence, and expectation. That's what Advent is about. Today I want to teach you a little bit about love. And you think you know everything there is to know about love because we use that word so often and so casual. We tell everyone we love them, even strangers. We love them. We use love in all kinds of ways. But I want to talk to you today a little bit about that word, love, and try and help you understand love. I want to begin today, though, I want to lead you to the first letter of John. John was the beloved of the Lord. John was called to follow Jesus probably when he was in his teens, maybe late teens. John lived until about 80 or 90 AD, and he was probably the last and only apostle that did not die a martyr's death. He died of old age. So we're looking at a man who had lived his life in the service of God since he was young. And as he writes 1 John, I'd like you to focus on a portion, a portion of what he has to say in 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment or judgment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. This is just a, a brief excerpt of John's first letter to the church. And I mean, I can spend a whole, I can spend several sermons just on this one passage. Just on this one passage. Repeatedly, one of the things that John says is that God is love. One of the things I like to teach you today when we talk about the love of God, one of the things I want to teach you is that love is one of the attributes of God. I want you to stop there and think about it. Love is one of the attributes of God. God is love in character and in being. God doesn't love, God is love. I just need you to think about that a moment. God doesn't just act lovingly, God is love. It is part of who he is. It is who he is in character and in being. You and I tend to see love as acting in love. I love you, you love me, but we are not love. The character of God, his being, his attribute, is that God is love. God is as much love as he is infinite. God is as much love as he is eternal. God is as much love as he is mercy. God is as much love as he is almighty. If those words tend to qualify for you and describe the character and being of God, now you need to understand that God doesn't just love, God is love. God is love always, as he is eternal always as he's infinite always, as he's merciful always, as he's almighty always. God is love always and everywhere and every time. He never ceases to be love because that is who he is. God is love. God is love. One of the things I have learned from reading uh, A.W. Tozer, 
and I've given you books on A.W. Tozer. The last book that I gave all of you as a gift was on the holiness of God. I hope you have had a chance to read it. That was several months ago. But one of the things that I have learned that has blessed me tremendously about knowing who God is, is that the attributes or the characters of God or the character of God or, or, or who he is, they're not separate things. They're not separate. It's not that God one time is love, another time he's judge, another time he's mercy, another time he's infinite, another time he is. All of the attributes of God work together, intrinsically together, because he is all of these things together. So that when we say God is love, we need to understand that God is eternally love, infinite love, merciful love, almighty love, but never are these characters and attributes of God individually. Because God does not love. God is love. That's who he is. And so all of the attributes of God are together. Love in God does not begin and end like you and me. God is infinitely love without beginning, without end. God is always love and will always be love. God is almighty love. It never is a little bit here or a lot there. He is always almighty love, perfect love, infinite love, pure love. Everything that God is, God is in reference to every one of his attributes. And when he is just, he is lovingly just because all of the attributes work together. He doesn't, he's, he's not one thing today, one other thing tomorrow, a third thing in a few moments later. He is always all that he is. God is always, every time, everywhere, and in all circumstances. So when we consider the love of God for you, you need to think that the love of God for you is infinite enormous, eternal. It doesn't come and go. It is always. If God is with you, all that he is, is with you. It's amazing, isn't it? We sometimes want to see God and understand him in human terms. And a lot of the Bible does that. It puts things of God in anthropomorphical ways in which we can understand what he's talking about. But God, our understanding of God is so little compared to the reality of who he is. And love is one of those things. You fall in love and fall out of love. God is in love with you from eternity to eternity, unchanging from beginning to end. Not diminishing one day and increasing another. Because he doesn't act in love, he is love. God is love. And John repeats that at least twice in the brief passage that I read to you. That God is love. The other thing that I want to teach you and want you to understand this morning 
is that I don't want you to consider that God's love for you and for me is shown at the birth of Jesus. I mean, we're all looking forward to Christmas. And we all understand that God so loved the world that he gave his son. But I want you to know that God's love for you begins years and centuries before Jesus was born. That if you want to understand the love of God for you, you have to go all the way to the first page of the Bible. You have to understand it from the moment of creation. I want you to think that everything that God ever created, when you read the first chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis begins with these words, in the beginning, God. Nothing else existed. Not time, not space, not matter, not life. The only thing that existed in the beginning of all beginnings before anything was ever even a thought was God. In the beginning, God. And then what we find is that every detail, every minutia of creation was created with you in mind. Just consider that. When God separates chaos and, and brings order, it's because he's going to bring you into that order. When God separates the waters from the earth, it's because he's going to help us live on earth. When God brings light from darkness and the sun and the moon and the stars is because we will need for our sustenance. We will need for our life the light of the sun. We will need every little aspect of creation was created. The animals, the plants, everything was created with a purpose. The love he felt for humans that he was about to create. And at the end of all creation, and when everything had been prepared, and when everything was perfect, he didn't order you or me or humanity to be. I often see it as he got down on his knees and he grabbed some mud or some dirt and he fashioned you and he breathed his life into your life. And then he put the first woman and the first man in the garden that he had created. And everything God had created, every detail was with this man and this woman in mind. God had loved the idea of creating people that could relate to him. And he created nature, and he created the world, and he created the universe, and he created all things with you in mind. And we needed every part of creation to survive. God has loved you before you were even a thought in your mother and father's mind. Before you were in your mother's womb, God already loved you and was preparing a place for you to live in. God has loved you from eternity unto eternity. God's love does not begin in the manger, even though unequivocally 
the manger is the greatest manifestation of the love of God that humanity has ever experienced. Even the people of the Old Testament look forward to what God was going to do. And today we look back to the manger. Even though Jesus is the greatest manifestation of the love of God for his creation, every aspect of how God dealt with Israel demonstrates the amazing love he has for those he created. Even when the fall came, even when Adam and Eve decided to betray God, even when Adam and Eve decided to compete with God, even when Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God, God did not give up on the world, and God did not give up on humanity. God continued to pursue and search for mankind's heart, even after the fall. And he reveals himself to people like Noah. And he reveals himself to people like Abraham and Sarah. And he reveals himself to people like Moses. And he continually reveals himself. And every time he reveals himself, he's calling them back into his heart and into his love and into our relationship. Because we may have fallen out of love with God, but God never fell out of love with us. And every prophet that God raised up and sent was one that was calling the people of Israel and the people of the world to come back, to change, to repent, including John the Baptist that we read this morning. The call is to repent and return to the Lord, to return to where we have left, to return to the glories and the love and the intimacy with God that had been lost at the fall. God's love does not begin on the manger. God's love begins from the first letter of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. And then, of course, at the appointed time, God sends into the world his one and only son. Not a spare son, not a second son, but his one and only beloved, begotten son. He sends him into the world to be born a human being and to go through every pain and every sorrow and every persecution and every strike and every bleeding and everything that a human would go through, he sends his son to come and be born as a human being. And then he sends a star prior to that birth, and that star appears in the east, and I want you to notice that it appears to Gentiles. He had been calling Israel continually to come to him. Now he's inviting Gentiles who are outside of Judaism, outside of the faith, outside of the promises of God, outside of the Messiah, to come and follow and find the king of all kings that would ever exist. To me, the star is like an RSVP card. Come. Save the date. Come, follow. I will lead you to where I want you to see my son. And then, of course, 
The love of God is manifested like no place else on the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem. The love of God is manifested there like, like no place else anywhere in history. Because God has done so many mighty, mighty things in the history of Israel, but nothing like the birth of God into human flesh. Nothing compares with that. There is a book, there is a book uh, that was written a long time ago, well, maybe not so long, but I've read it a long time ago, and I don't know if you have heard it, but it was a book called The Five Love Languages. The Five Love Languages basically were uh, basically teaching couples how to learn each other love language. Okay, the way that I see love and the way that I receive love and the way I hear love is different than the way you see or hear or experience love. Perhaps love for me, for example, is my wife saying to me, I won't bother you, go read. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. I won't bother you. I won't ask any to-do list. Go and read. Be at peace. I have no problem with you reading. That says to me, she loves me so much, she's giving me this gift that I so like. Maybe her love language is for me doing the dishes after she's cooked. Maybe that's how she says, oh, you know, Jose really appreciates all the work that I do. Look, he's helping me. Everybody has a different love language. And the idea of the book is that you need to discover the love language of the people you're trying to to love and be in relationship with. Well, I read not too long ago, someone said precisely what's up in the screen. The love language of God is Jesus. The love language of God is Jesus. The birth of Jesus in a manger, it couldn't be a louder, I love you. It couldn't be a louder, I love you than anything else. Yeshua, Jesus, is the loudest I love you that God could have uttered to you and to me. I am willing to give you my son to take every pain from you, every sorrow from you, every sin from you. I'm willing to give and offer my one and only son my one begotten, not my one created, my one begotten from me. I'm going to give him for you. No louder I love you is there in all of the universe than what happened at the manger on Bethlehem of Judea. And that infinite love of God, that infinite and eternal and powerful and almighty love of God, reaches out today to you and to me. It's not old. That love of God is, is for you and for me today. When God says, I love you, he's saying, I love you from all eternity to all eternity. And I will not take it back. And I will diminish it. I will not diminish it. I love you with a love you will never have experienced anywhere in the world. When God says, I love you, he's loving you with all that he is 
because God is love. The question, in a way, is how do you experience today the love of God? What does it mean to you? Do you think there are times that God is not love? Do you think there are times God doesn't love you just because he doesn't do things the way you want it and when you want it? Do you think God doesn't love you because some things are not perfect in the world? God is always love, unchanging love, and he's always in love with you. Even when things don't happen the way we perceive it, even when things don't happen the way we want it, even when we feel at times the absence of God. Let me tell you, Israel spent years thinking God didn't care for them, and God was all the time in love with them and trying to reach them and, try and finally sends them the Messiah. How do you experience the love of God? Do you understand it? Do you receive it? Are you enjoying the love of God? Are you securing knowing that you are loved? That you are loved with an infinite love, with an eternal love, with an unchanging love as God is unchanging? How do you perceive the love of God? Do you think you have to earn it? Some people believe they have to earn the love of God. And that, that's not right. God loved you even when you were sinners. That's why you are not today, because he sought you out. Because he sent his spirit. Because he's created his church. Because he's drawn you into a relationship with him. Do you still think you need to earn the love of God? Do you wonder if God is meant for you? Do, you? do you think that God can love others but not you? That there's something wrong with you, that there's something defective in you, that there's something lacking in you, that he can be so in love with other people, but I don't think God loves me. Do you think God loves you? And probably the most important question for me is, do you overflow? Do you overflow with the love of God toward others? Do you overflow in the love that God has for you? Do you overflow in loving others as you have been loved? Yeah, we can say, I love you. And yes, you know, we mean it, but it seems to me like it's only a leaking, not an overflowing. Do you overflow in love for others as God has poured his love into you? Let me uh, share with you what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any 
other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not cancer, not financial ruin, not fires, not floods, not demons, not angels, not false teachers, not good teachers, not anything on this earth. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. Through Christ Jesus we have access to the fullness of the eternal, infinite, almighty love of God. And then he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, the famous love chapter in Corinthians, he closes the whole chapter with these words, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of this is love. Why do you think that love is greater than faith and greater than hope? Have you ever thought about that? Why is love greater than any of the others? I'll just give you my take on it. The time will come when we won't need faith. The time will come when we are in heaven face to face with our Father in full relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and faith will be unnecessary. Faith is, if faith calls us to action today, to act in faith in our lives, when we are with the Lord, we won't need faith. When we are with the Lord, we won't need hope because hope will have been accomplished hope would have been fulfilled. If hope is wait for the Lord, now we are in the presence of God. You won't need hope or faith, but love you will always need in this life and in the life to come because God is love. And when we have intimacy with God, we have intimacy in love with God. And love will be here, needed here, and love will be needed in heaven. So love is greater, longer lasting, forever and ever, than faith and hope. Faith and hope serve us well on this earth, but love will lead us all the way home. And then the last passage I want to deal with today that you all know very well, John 3.16, for God so love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to consider these things, these three things, the depths of God's love for you. John 3.16 says that God so loved, so deeply loved you, so deeply loves you today. God so loves you so deeply, so profoundly, so amazingly God loves you. It goes to the depths of his love. And then the next verse tells us about his generosity in that love. 
God so loved, and he gave his only begotten son. The generosity of the love of God is that he surrenders his son, his only eternal, everlasting, glorious son. He surrenders him to all that goes into coming and becoming human. Surrenders him to the cross. Surrenders him to beatings. Surrenders him to betrayal. Surrenders him to attacks. Surrenders him to persecution. Surrenders him to everything that Jesus went through. He so loved you so deeply that he generously gave the precious Son of God. And then I want you to look at the width or the breadth of the love of God that whoever, not one people, not only those that are perfect, not only those who are Jewish, not only those who do everything right, whoever, That's so wide. Whoever believes in his son. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've been. Whoever. Look at the width, at the breadth of the love of God. Whoever. That includes the whole of humanity from the beginning to the very end. Whoever believes in his son and then look at the height of the love of God should not perish but have everlasting life you can't have higher than that whoever believes in the son that he gave because he loves you to them he will give the heights of heaven the heights of eternity, the height of God's love is evident in the giving of eternal life. And so my question to you today in form of application, how do you take this home with you? First of all, I want you to know that God loves you enormously, incomparably to anything else in this life that the love of God is unchangeable, that the love of God is everlasting, it's eternal, it is infinite, that the love of God is undeserved, and that the love of God is unfailing. Do you understand how God has loved you? Have you understood the enormity of God's love for you? If you understand that it will carry you through this life, it will carry you through every moment of darkness, it will carry you to every moment of pain, it will carry you through every moment of loneliness, it will carry you through every moment of, of being alone, of finding and feeling yourself lonely and alone and fearful. Where there is love, there is no fear because the love of God is sufficient. Fear exists where there's judgment. And if God has loved you, there is no judgment. Not now, not ever. In Jesus Christ, you are not judged. In Jesus Christ, you are loved for eternity. Do you understand the love that God has for you? And the second thing I want to say to you 
is that as you have been loved by God, we have to love others. There is no receiving without giving it away. The love that God has poured into you is the same love that you need to overflow toward others. And sometimes that love may be very difficult. And there are people in this life that are easy to love, and there are people that are very hard to love. But we are called to love without differentiation. Yes, there are some people we are readier and more willing and more able, but we're still to love our enemies. We're still to love those who hurt us. We're still to love as God has loved us when we were enemies of God. And love sometimes hurts. And love sometimes costs. And it may cost you in time. And it may cost you in energy. And it may cost you financially. And it may cost you in many ways. And I know you and I fail at loving like God loves. But we should never give up in being all that God asks us to be. We are to overflow to everyone we meet with the love of God. Because we have been loved to love. And if you understand the love of God... You have to love others as you have been loved. You have to love even when it's hard. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everybody. It doesn't mean you have to do what everybody else wants. But it does mean you have to love everyone that you meet, you are to love them with the fullness and infinite love that God has poured. The capacity that God has put into your heart to receive love is the same capacity you are to use to overflow in love for others. More likely, it's, it's even more visible when you love those that are unlovable than when you love people that are always easy to love. It is in those times when it's difficult that the love of God becomes more manifest and more visible, and you are called a son or daughter of the living God. Today, second Sunday of Advent, is the day of love. I pray with all my heart that your heart is so full right now, so full of the presence of God, that you would understand this day the enormity of how God has loved you and loves you and will always love you for eternity, and that that's the same love you are to share with others.